We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Thank you, Mark and team. I love the song that you sang just a moment ago that says, Your goodness is running after me. Man, is that not true, what God did for us? Uh, there's an old poem from a long time ago that uh, someone references, The Hound of Heaven. And that's what God did. Uh, we have an old hymn that's not really theologically correct. I have decided to follow Jesus. Well, that's good, but unless God decides for us to be with him, uh, it's not an act of our own will that we choose to do. But I love that. Your goodness is running after me. And he's been a hound of heaven, a hound of heaven that chases us and wants us to yield to him and love him and serve him and and so that's why I believe you're here tonight. Those of you who are uh, tuning in online, God bless you. We're thankful. We pray for you. We've got a lot of folks that, uh, that are ill, a lot of empty chairs here tonight, but we're very grateful for every one of you that are here. We're going to look at a great passage in God's Word in Mark chapter 2. Jared read part of the beginning of that, and I just want to remind you, if I may, last week we looked at the great uh, miracle that Jesus did in the lesson entitled, One Born of Four. And we saw those four friends that loved their friends so much, they were willing to do whatever it took to get him close to Jesus. And as Jesus is in the house teaching uh, his message, all of a sudden the, the ceiling starts falling down. And you know the rafters and the insulation and whatever uh, those uh, houses were made out of. And, and I, I could just picture Jesus. It didn't stir him at all. He just kept right on teaching you know, the ceiling's falling down right in front of him and people are looking up there to see what's going to happen, but Jesus kept right on. And these men that had carried their friend for a long ways with ropes let down that pallet with that man who was paralyzed and they let him down right in front of Jesus. Would you do that? I bet you would. Do you have some friends that if you could, you want to get them close to Jesus? Now, we can't give them Jesus. My mother was a Christian that uh, God used cancer to bring our family to him. Now, cancer's bad, but God can use something bad to bring us to him. And it drew my mom to him, us children. Uh, they took me to church at six years old for the first time, and they told me about Jesus. And as that man was laid down in front of Jesus, he had a great need that his friends knew, but they didn't know how great that need was and Jesus looked at him and said, son, your sins are forgiven. And that's the greatest need. Whether we get healed physically or we get all the prayer requests that we ask for in this life to make our life easier, uh, you do realize that we live more comfortably, all of us in America, almost all of us, than anyone that's ever lived. We are, we are uh, so blessed with so many things to make our life easier. But that man needed something and that's the same thing that you and I need. And I'm thankful that Jesus stopped to look at us. How about you? I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. As uh, Mark just said, what a crazy year. I remember the first part of 2020, we were all going to laugh about, oh, we're going to talk about perfect vision, 2020 vision. That kind of got blown out of the water, didn't it? <laughs> There's nothing perfect about our vision for this year. In our office, we have a big calendar. We fill it out at the end of the year or the beginning of January. And we make all these great plans. And I told Brenda the other day that works with me, just take a magic marker and just put a great big X 
over the whole year because we just didn't know, did we? But you know who did know? God did. And he's still there. He's still where he was. He's still doing what he was doing. Not phased a bit. And he's meeting here with us tonight. So wherever you go, whatever you get to do at Thanksgiving, whether you're by yourself or a few friends or wherever you get to go, just thank God for being God. We've got a good, good Father. I want you to join with me, if you will, looking at that passage a little bit. Um, by the way, I would say this about Thanksgiving. In 1621, as you know, settlers that came from England uh, landed here on this continent, uh, and many of them died because the first winter came, and it was very, very deadly and treacherous. Uh, if it weren't for the Indians, the natives here that lived in in, on, on this continent, uh, many more would have died. And they decided that as those Indians helped them and some of the pilgrims, they decided to have a Thanksgiving celebration to where they stopped what they were doing. They ate a feast together and they thanked God for his provision for taking care of them and for letting them live through uh, that year. In our country, several, several years ago, it was uh, made a national holiday that we remember Third Sunday, isn't it? Or a third Thursday, fourth Thursday, whatever it is, um, in November to celebrate and to have Thanksgiving. But the world has kind of hijacked this holiday because if you'll listen closely on the commercials and the television programs we and, and the advertisements in the stores, they have hijacked it and they've changed it because they'll talk about thank your parents and thank your, your family and thank your boss and thank your friends and thank well you, we need to do that don't we we need to thank others in our life and be thankful for them but thanksgiving is a time for us to stop and i've just been blown away by that uh the advertisers be sure and thank your family and thank this and thank we need to thank god he deserves the glory he deserves the praise he deserves the thanks so sometime this week if you can maybe you're gathered around a meal together i hope you can Take time just for a minute and ask, what are you thankful for? You might be surprised. You might be surprised what someone tells you. In chapter two of Mark, Jesus has done a miracle by healing this paralytic man. And when he, uh, in beginning in verse 13, as Jared read to us, immediately that man got up, took his pallet, went out in the sight of everyone, and he goes out to tell what great things Jesus has done. In verse 13, it said, he went out again by the seashore, Jesus, and all the people were coming to him and he was teaching them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. There's something interesting about that that I just read to you. In the passage before, the man who was the paralytic and now this man there's something that Jesus told them both to do. He said to get up, to get up and follow him. Uh, both of those men got up. It was a miracle physically for that paralytic man to get up off his bed. It truly was. And everybody was astonished. But I tell you, it was also a miracle for Matthew, Levi, same thing, to get up from his tax booth also. Think about this for a minute. By the way, Alpheus, the name Alpheus means change. And one of the greatest things we can be thankful for in our lives, if you know Jesus, is for a changed life. Uh, 
You remember that blind man of John chapter nine? I was blind, but now I see. Well, don't you know that this man's a sinner who did this to you? I don't know whether he's a sinner or not, but I know one thing. I was blind and now I can see. And you and I have a testimony like that, don't we? I was this, but praise God for Jesus because I'm not that anymore. So there's a change coming to this man named Matthew. Uh, Notice also, not only did Jesus tell them to get up, in both those cases, it said, he saw them. Now in the gospel, there's a lot of times when people, the Bible says, ran ahead so they could see Jesus. I remember Zacchaeus, you remember him as a little little child? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. He ran ahead and he climbed up in a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus. But in this case and in many other ones, it says Jesus saw them. Jesus saw him. And I think that's so personal because you're here tonight and you may say, well, I'm going to school, I'm I'm working, I'm, I'm, I'm by myself, nobody's here, I don't know very many people or whatever your circumstance and your background and what you've come for. But God sees you. He knows what you're going through. He knows everything. Psalm 139 says he knows your thoughts before you have them. And so I just want to encourage you, just like it says here, he saw him. Now, there's a lot of crowd around Jesus, but he had an appointment one, that day with this one named Levi. It said he was sitting in the tax booth. And let me tell you just a little bit about that. It was on a trade route from Damascus to the Mediterranean Sea. It was placed in a strategic place because if you were going to, to charge tax and raise tax for the government, you would want to be in a high traffic area. Isn't that right? We think of people uh, that are gatekeepers or bridge keepers and you have to pay a toll to go across the bridge. Uh, you don't go and collect that tax or that toll way off away from the bridge. You get right there so people literally can't go over that bridge unless they pay you. Makes sense, doesn't it? Well, these guys, these tax collectors, publicans, were in a specific place so the people would have to pass by there. A publican or a tax collector, um, they were actually, they actually people who bid on that job from the Romans. They would say, uh, the Romans would say, we want you to, to raise taxes from all the people to pay us. How much do you want? They would agree on a price and a publican would actually pay that price ahead of time. They would pay to the Romans a certain amount of tax that, that Rome levied on the people. And it's like they would buy the contract and then they would go out and set up their tax booth. They either would, would man it themselves or they would hire other people to collect tax. Now, how did they make their money? If Rome wanted $10, what are these people going to charge? $20 or much more than that. Now, a lot of these tax collectors were Jews. Jews. The Jews are occupied now by the Roman government and the Roman army. What do you think the, the uh, reputation of these Jews were that were taking taxes from their other Jewish brothers and sisters and giving it to Rome? Wouldn't they be just the greatest friends of everyone? <laughs> No, they are, they are persona non grata. They are not popular. In fact, most of them are despised because wouldn't it be an easy way to cheat? They could just charge whatever they want to. Rome says you need to pay $100 when Rome got 10. 
And it was an easy way for them to be dishonest and to cheat. But they were put in a specific place. Matthew, Levi, the same guy, are put in a specific place. And I thought about this time today. Matthew would actually be thought of as a loan shark. You know what we think about them? Those that would come and sure, I'll loan you this amount of money, but you're gonna give me this much back. And what happens if you don't pay it back? Uh, Guido comes and he uh, disjoints your shoulder at first to make it hurt a little bit. And then if you don't pay, what does he do? You might have body parts missing after that. That's the mindset we have. Well, that's what a publican was. A publican was a low thought of person in the land that day. I want to ask you something. Jesus is going to round up his apostles. In fact, he's going to choose 12 of them to be the leaders that would carry on the church. He is, got, he is reaching out and making disciples of all people. If you were Jesus, would you not know what this guy was sitting at that booth and kind of pass on by? But the question for us tonight is, who did Jesus run with? When I ask you that question, who did Jesus run with? And we'll see. He came there and saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. Now, the impact of that would be, you want me to get up and leave my table? You want me to leave all this tax money here? You want me to leave my job? You want me to leave my career, my profession? What about my family? What am I going to do? He literally, that would be the same thing for you and me. I want you to make a life change in a moment's time. Get up from where you're at and come and follow me. And the scripture says he got up and followed him. Do you know the happiest, most content people that I know are the people that when the Bible simply says, do this, they do it. Some of us want to know why we're going to do it, how long it's going to take, when are we going to get back, why do I have to do it? We analyze sometimes and we really are kind of uh, hesitant to do what God's word says, but the most confident, peaceful, happy people I know are Christians that says, if God's word said it, it's a, it's a done deal. And that's Matthew. Come and follow me, Jesus said. And he got up and followed him. It's interesting to me that Jesus chose this man. He didn't choose the most educated, although the most educated can be saved, amen? He didn't choose the wealthiest, although this man probably had some money. He didn't choose the, the uh, most attractive, the most popular. And he didn't choose the religious leader. Did you know in those apostles there wasn't a religious leader among them? He didn't go get the preacher of the biggest church. He didn't get the televangelist that's most popular and has more programs on TV than anybody else. Now, can those people be saved? Can they be used by God? Absolutely. But who did Jesus run with? What example did he set for us in the church that we need to pay attention to? I need to pay attention to. He said publican, and he knew what it meant to be a publican tax collector, you're not very popular. I was going to say, equate that to somebody that works for the IRS, but somebody that works for IRS is here very close to me and he's bigger than I am and tonight and I, I might be a little afraid to say that. So, uh, But he was a tax collector. He was a sinner. He was counted as just 
a sellout to Rome, a Jew taking money from fellow Jews on behalf of the Roman government. Not very popular. But it's interesting, Jesus saw him and he chose him. The ones the Pharisees wouldn't have chosen, the Sadducees wouldn't have chosen. The religious leaders of the day wouldn't have anything to do with them. I wonder about us. He didn't choose the elite. And I think sometimes we're trying to build our churches with the elite. There's going to be some people in heaven we don't even know their name. And I think they're the elite spiritually. A woman that we don't even know her her name, but she said, Lord, could I have the crumbs that fall from the master's table? And Jesus said, I haven't found faith like that in all Israel. We don't even know who she was. So Jesus here chose the unpopular. He chose what the rest of the world wouldn't choose. And he had a plan for this man's life. 1 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. You're probably familiar with these verses. But you could be here tonight and you may say, well, Mike, you don't know where I've been. You don't know who I've been running with. You don't know what I've done. And I don't, and you don't know the same about me. But I do know this verse. Jesus says, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. When someone walks through our doors, whatever state they're in, if they're unsaved or they are saved, We don't stop them at the door and say, would you mind giving us a a DVD of all of your sinful actions and we're going to put it on the screen tonight. And before you can come and be a part of the evening service at Denton Bible Church, we're going to have every one of those things that you've done in your past played up here on the screen. Wouldn't that be fun to go to church? Jesus doesn't stop us at the door and say, uh, just spit it all out. He knows who we are. He knows where we've been. He knows what we've done. He also knows what we need. And that scripture says, from now on, we do not recognize anyone according to the flesh. And it says, therefore, if anyone, and who who does that include? Anyone. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. I've literally had that happen. I've had the, the, the most unpopular person in town that didn't have one friend, that caused problems all his life, walk into the church house. What would you do? I've had that happen. And I've looked back and thought, oh, this is interesting. And I'm thinking about a particular one. And you know what happened? Within a few weeks' time, he became so humble. He had trusted Christ. He was a servant of the church. He joined the church and he was faithful. And I don't remember him as what he used to do very much at all. I remember him now because he's a new creature in Christ. He doesn't talk the same and walk the same. He doesn't treat people the same. And that's what this verse is saying. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. Billy Graham used to say that most of the people in prison cannot get over the fact that they could be forgiven. They believe that what they've done, they have gone too far and they can't be forgiven. Aren't you glad That no matter what we've done, where we've been, no matter what our past life was, Jesus offers salvation to you and me. And in that salvation is forgiveness. Justification. Justification is not covering up our sin. In the Old Testament, God passed over their sin. 
because someone hadn't died yet who had perfect blood and a perfect life. But it, you and I now look back at the cross of Calvary and when Jesus died, he was died the sinless one for the sinner. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do we deserve it? Nope. Can we earn it? Nope. Jesus came to save the lost and that's all of us. Notice who he reached out to, the one the rest of the world wouldn't reach out to. The story's told of a church that was pretty formal. People dressed up to go to church. It was a, what, we would, what we call high church today a little bit. They had formalities. And while the preacher was in the pulpit, he was preaching and the doors opened up and you could tell this man that walked in was homeless. He was not dressed very well, didn't smell very well. He was unkempt. He had not had any haircut, shave in a long time. And he walked in and I can just see the preacher looking back there. You know, sometimes when the preacher's in the pulpit, he can see who comes in before everybody else does. And that's what happened that day. And I can just see or think of that preacher thinking, oh no, where's he gonna go? Hope one of the deacons are gonna get up and go, go talk to him. And that story is told that that guy just walked right down the aisle, the middle aisle of the church, and he came and sat right down in front of everybody right on the steps. That preacher just kept right on preaching. Just kept right on preaching. And everybody in the church is just looking to see what's somebody gonna do? Did he not see him come in there? And look what he looks like and where's he been? What's he been doing? Wow, did you smell him when he went by? And an old man in a three-piece suit with a cane and a gold tip on it. It was on the back row of the church. And they said, that old man slowly got up with his cane and he walked down that same middle aisle that that man had walked down. And he went and sat right down next to that man on the steps, put his arm around him, stayed there till the preacher finished the, the message. See, that's what Jesus has done for us. Spiritually, we don't smell very good. We don't look very good. We are not kept. We need a savior. And that's what Jesus did. He saw Levi. He called Levi. He offered him a different new life. Look at verse 15. Guess what happened? Matthew just threw a, a supper for Jesus. He just said, I'm gonna invite all my friends and that's what we ought to do too. When we come to know Christ, we got, we got other people that need the same thing, right? I remember when I first got saved, I wanted to tell everybody. And I did. I was saved at eight years old. And in, in my school, I would tell people about Jesus all the time. Some of them would just look at me. Most of them were nice to me. And some of them listened. And you know what else happened? Some of you guys that are wondering about, well, I've witnessed to those people. I've prayed for them. You keep on doing that because the phone could ring one of these days. Or you could go to a high school reunion one of these days and you look at that person that you'd witnessed to and you had lived for Jesus in front of and you had begged and prayed for and all of a sudden you see them walking towards you and they don't look the same anymore. It's a wonderful thing when they open their mouth and say, let me tell you what God's done in my life. Just had that happen for me couple years ago. I was praying when I went to my high school reunion, Lord, would you let me uh, share Christ with some people and, that I went to school with? I haven't seen some of them in all these years. Would you let me share Christ? 
I could not even get through talking to people that I went to school with and haven't seen in several decades for the people coming up to me and saying, let me tell you what God's done in my life. I was on cloud nine. I was so excited. And I'm talking about some of the big old tough guys, you know, they were walking around. I remember one guy used to wear a t-shirt to school uh, and it said, tough enough. He was, had a high opinion of himself. But you know what? These people came from everywhere. Not everyone. Some of them were still acting like they were 17. But for hours, one would get through and another one would come. This one girl who grew up in a very legalistic atmosphere, she came, she was a friend of mine with tears in her eyes and she said, Mike, I found out what grace was. And I had one of the most wonderful times because if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. We don't look at them the same anymore. They're not the same. They don't smell the same. They don't walk the same. They don't act the same. They don't dress the same. They don't, and I'm talking about spiritually. So Jesus called this man and this man wanted to thank Jesus so he invites all of his friends. He wants them to be saved too. Notice what happened in the passage last week. They tore the roof off to get their friend to Jesus. I have never been in a church service where somebody broke down part of the building to get in there or get their friends in there. Some of us are bold enough to say, why don't you come visit us at church? Well, come, just grab them. Bring them with you. Do something drastic to get somebody to church. Isn't it the most important decision we ever make and the decision that Christ makes for us? We ought to, we ought to do anything. I use the illustration a lot of times. I grew up in a town that had a mile-long bridge over the lake. And I asked people, if you knew that bridge was out, you could go halfway and the people that didn't stop plunge right into that lake, would you not do something? Would you not go out there and stand up and wave your hands and scream and yell, stop! Because you're gonna run off the bridge and you're gonna die. Well, certainly we would. And yet, people are dying around us spiritually all the time and we say, oh yeah, I'll go to church. Hope you come visit us sometime. I just, I just want to encourage you this Thanksgiving to be thankful for what God did for you. I love that Mark, wherever Mark's sitting. His goodness is running after us. We need to run after some folks too in the goodness of Christ and bringing them to church with us. So he just had a meal. Look at verse 15. It happened, that's once upon a time, that he was reclining at the table in his house. By the way, if you have watched or looked at the picture of the Last Supper, and it's a real neat kind of long table with Jesus in the middle and all those disciples on each side of him, that's not the way Jews ate. They didn't sit in chairs most of the time. They reclined. They would lay down, prop themselves up on, a, on one arm, and they would they would uh, have pillows around the table and that's the way they ate. So well, next time you see that picture of the Last Supper, it's not quite correct biblically. But it says they were at the table in his house, Matthew and many tax collectors. Someone said the Christian life is a beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. And in our passage here tonight, it's a tax collector telling the other tax collectors where to get a savior. He loved them. He cared about them. So he just said, come on over to the house. 
And it says, notice what it says though, is they sat at the table in his house, house and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples. How would you like that to be labeled like that? It didn't say many tax collectors and Jews, many tax collectors and Gentiles, many tax collectors and men, women, young people. Those could all have been fine. But it said many tax collectors and sinners. You see, a Jew of that day didn't think he was a sinner. He thought he was the people of God and therefore didn't need what these other people needed. So it says, as they were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them, and they were following him. Look what's happened. God used Matthew to tear the roof off spiritually. He did something drastic by inviting his friends to Jesus, the one that had seen him and called him. And there's always this group that shows up. When the scribes and Pharisees, and about that time, uh, the commentators say that there was about 6,000 Pharisees. They were the strictest order of religious people. They were the church of the day. They were the big dogs. They were the ones that claimed to be the people of God and folks would have looked at them as the ones who would give them God's word. The scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors and they said to his disciples, why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? I want to tell you something. If you follow Jesus, there's going to be a day when some people say that about you too. What's Mike running with those people for? Doesn't he know who they are? Well, did Jesus know who they were? He knew everything about them. And that's what the Pharisees, doesn't he know? One time a woman came and she was anointing the feet of Jesus. You remember that? Wiping his feet with her hair. And one of these religious leaders says, doesn't he know what kind of woman that is? Well, that's the beautiful part of salvation. He does know what kind of man or woman we are. And he loves us. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love toward us in that when we get our lives all fixed up, he'll come and die for us. Is that what it says? God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were liars and thieves and adulterers and while we were everything, God said, I love you so much. But Lord, my life's a mess. I know it is. But I love you so much that I'll die for you and then we'll work on your life. Oh, folks, we've got so much to be thankful for. We've got a good, good father. He's running after us. And you may be here tonight and you know he's running after you. And you know he's here. He's close. He won't force you to yield to him. That's one thing about Jesus. There's gonna be a day, the day of judgment, where we're gonna be forced, those that reject Christ, amen? They're gonna be forced to kneel and confess that Jesus is the Lord. On judgment day, the thoughts that we've had, the words that we've spoken, the deeds that we've done, those that don't know Christ, there's gonna be a great white throne judgment and books are gonna be open and all their sins are written down. Woo, I don't wanna go there, how about you? <laughs> and if you're a Christian, you won't be there. Isn't that good? Jesus can see us today. He can see us tonight. And he loves us. And he loved Matthew. Matthew went and got all of his friends there. And here came the scribes and Pharisees who are always trying to trick Jesus to get him guilty. 
And they said, why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And when you first read that, you think that he is making a distinguished uh, mark between the religious leaders and these common sinners. And the religious leaders could have joined in with that and said, well, yeah, we are righteous. We are healthy. We don't need a physician. We We don't need a savior. But that's not what Jesus was saying at all. We had found out, remember, uh, in in another passage where Jesus said, if you say that you are not blind and you really are blind, your sin remains. And what he's saying here, we're all blind. We're all broken. We're all guilty. We're all lost. You don't have to turn there, but let me read Matthew 21, 31 to you. When these Pharisees were saying, doesn't he know that those people are sinners there? Jesus said, I came to call the ones that are sick. Well, the Pharisees were just as sick as all the rest of these people, but they don't admit it. They were just as lost, just as sinful. Matthew 21, 31 says, truly I say to you that the tax collectors, hey, Matthew, and prostitutes, how about that? Will get into the kingdom of God before you. He's talking to those religious leaders. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. There's gonna be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see some go into the kingdom of God and you kicked out. Did you know the strongest language Jesus used in the scripture was about the religious people of the day? It wasn't about the people whose life was a wreck and they they admitted it. He's saying those people, when the gospel was preached to them, they admitted it, I'm a sinner, I need help. It's those religious leaders that acted like, we don't need help, we're too good. We're not sinful, we got it. Don't don't give us that message, we don't need it. If you want a real lesson, the strongest language Jesus used in the scripture is found in Matthew 23. He said these scribes and Pharisees, he said, you compass land and sea to make one proselyte one person to come follow you. And he said, when you get that proselyte, you make him twice as fit for hell as anyone else. Pretty strong language. Scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, Jesus said. He called them a brood of vipers. Now, I don't tell you to go around to the churches in in Denton and say to all the preachers and the leaders of the church, you guys are snakes, you are vipers, you are terrible guys. No, because we've got some great churches here. We've got some folks that truly love the Lord, but just be careful. Our churches ought to be full of the blind and the lame and the feeble and the weak and the widows and the orphans because that's who Jesus hung around with. That's who he ran with. The ones that just admitted, I need you, Lord. Verse 18 says, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting and they came to him. Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. They were trying to catch Jesus in any kind of sin. When he healed on the Sabbath day, oh, you're breaking the law of God. You remember, I know that the Jewish leaders made their own book and they added to it all kinds of laws that God didn't say. 
If you go to Israel right now, there are kosher laws. And those are laws that men wrote, not God. And here, that's some of those things there. Why are you, uh, your disciples, John's disciples, uh, why don't you wash your hands? John's did and our disciples do. Why don't, excuse me, why don't you fast? And Jesus said to them, while the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot fast, can they? Now there's a couple reasons why, and one of our pastors sitting here with us uh, tonight could probably share with you a lot better than I can. But there's a couple reasons why that people fast. Uh, fast in, in one case was a sign of mourning. You remember David was seeking uh, for his little boy to not die and he was sad and he had, he had not eaten for many, many days and he didn't clean himself. He, did, he sat and he just begged and he begged and he, he fasted. There are times when God's people fasted because of mourning, but there's other times when God's people fast to draw near to God, to seek an answer from him. And it is a, it is a willingness to put food uh, that our body needs. We don't, we're not supposed to mistreat our body, but it is to put that aside to show God our willingness to listen to him and trust him. He told Jesus, said, don't, don't fast like the, the, the Pharisees do. They, they make their face look all sad and they let everybody know, woe is me because I haven't eaten and I'm fasting. And he said, do it in secret. Do it in secret between you and God. But they're trying to find Jesus in some kind of problem, some kind of sin. And he said, I'm here, I'm the bridegroom. And while I'm here, my disciples are not gonna fast. They don't have any need to. They can turn around and ask me. I can help them do everything they need. But he, he went on to say, but the days will come in verse 20 when the bridegroom is taken away from them. This is the first hint of the cross in the gospel of Mark. The first hint that Jesus was gonna die on the cross. And he said, then they will fast in that day. Verse 21. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the patch pulls away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear results. Jesus is telling them, we gotta do a new thing. Judaism would have to give way to Christianity. There were two groups of people. They were called Judaizers. And in church history, there was a man named Eusebius. And what they did was they both tried to, they tried to be a Christian, but keep the law at the same time. You might even hear of churches today that do that. They call themselves kingdom churches or Old Testament, whatever. And they say, we're Christians. We believe in Jesus, but we believe you're supposed to keep the law. Those two things are diametrically opposed. What the law could not do, the Bible says, Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin died. Jesus fulfilled the law. And we don't have one foot in Christianity and one foot in Judaism. We honor Judaism. That is our heritage. But Judaism was pointing to a savior to come and he's already come. He's a risen savior. And so Jesus is saying, you don't take a, a patch of unshrunk cloth and put it on an old garment because the two things will not stay. You can sew it on there and put it on there, but they're not the same and they're gonna tear. What he's saying is you gotta have a new way of doing things. And he tells us personally, you must be born again. And I probably would have asked just like Nicodemus that night, 
You mean I got to be in my mother's womb again? I'm six feet tall. How's that going to happen? And Jesus said, you must be born of the water and the spirit or you can't enter the kingdom of God. You got to have a change. We're going to do a new thing. And then he goes on, he says, no one puts new wine into old wine skins. Otherwise the wine will burst the skins. And you know what that he's telling? And the wine is lost of skins as well, but one puts new wine into fresh wine skin. You know what he literally is saying? He's saying, I got to change your life. There are people that come to church and they want to make a deal with God. God, if you'll do this for me, I will go to church and I'll pray and I'll do all these things. And they, even with good intentions, want to change their life. But I want to tell you, you and I cannot change ourselves. We can't save ourselves. I truly tried that much of my life when I first got saved. I wanted to be the best Christian there ever was. And I would tell God, Lord, I don't ever want to sin again. And that's good. He looked at my heart and knew that. But you know what happened when I did fall short and I did sin? I would just hate myself. And I would be so angry with myself. And I would tell God, I'm just, I can't believe you could even love me or forgive me. And he didn't want me to be like that. I was trying to do it in my own strength. And we cannot. We cannot live the Christian life in our own power. I pray almost every morning, not by might nor by power, but by your spirit, Lord. Because the prophet knew a long time ago, we gotta have something different. And he says, we gotta have new wineskins. Wineskins were made out of animal skins a lot of the time, and they would put wine in there. These were tanned leather in a certain way. But if you had old ones that were cracked, when that wine fermented, it would spread, it would grow, and it would literally burst those wineskins because they weren't strong enough to hold that fermentation. And Jesus is talking about salvation in him. And he's saying, I got to make you a brand new person. For us to receive forgiveness and the Holy Spirit to come live in our, in our lives, Jesus is saying, you got to be a new wineskin. You got to have something new happen to you. So if you're here tonight and you think, well, I'm going to straighten my life up. God bless you. We'll help you. But you can't unless you let the one who saw Levi that day see you here tonight and say, Lord, I can't, but you can. Now there, you'll see something happen in your life. Salvation was available through Jesus. These scribes and Pharisees these religious elite, they didn't care for it. They rejected him. But these other tax collectors and these sinners and these harlots and these publicans and these other sinners, they knew they needed a savior. Verse 23. And it happened that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Well, it wasn't unlawful for them to pick grain to eat. Deuteronomy 23, 25 says, when you enter into your neighbor's standing grain, you can pluck the heads with your hand. You can eat. You just don't bring a sickle in there and, and reap their harvest and steal it from them. But you can eat what you need to. But the Pharisees were saying, yeah, but you're doing it on the Sabbath day. And we're not supposed to work on the Sabbath day. You know who these people are? They are the religious elite that, is that are preaching a legalistic message that you gotta follow all of these rules if you wanna be accepted by God. 
Jesus turned to him and he said, have you never read? And he's literally saying, don't you know your Bible? Have you never read what David did when he was in need? He and his companions became hungry. How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful. This is like communion bread that they had, a bread that was set aside for the priest to use. And David and his men were hungry. They went in and said, give me that bread. Well, nobody was supposed to eat that but the priest. And it says in the scripture, David didn't get in trouble for that. It's not lawful for anyone to eat except the priest. And he also gave it to those who were with him. You know what what the, the, the situation was? The need was greater than the rule. Do we have some rules that are put in place to keep us safe and protected and to make things better? But are some rules uh, just man's ideas and really not always apply? We think about this right here. Jesus said to them in verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. He's saying there that man is more important than the day, the Sabbath, and he's more important than the rule. You remember when he taught him, he said, how many of you have an ox? And on the Sabbath, your ox falls into a ditch. Are you not going to get it out of that ditch? And one, one of the guys would have said, an ox or your son falls into a ditch. Are you not going to reach down there and get him out of that ditch? Yes. Well, according to the Pharisees, oh, you're breaking the law because you're working, you're traveling, you're doing these works. And that's not what God intended at all. Let me ask you this question. Can somebody use the Bible in an abusive way? Yeah, they can use the words of God instead of using it, abuse it. And that's what these Pharisees were doing. Secondly, is Jesus the Lord of the Sabbath? He can do whatever he wants. (laughs) He created the Sabbath for us so we would have rest. So we would thank him and worship God. So they're trying to find every way they can. And Jesus tells them in verse 28, the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So what's the answer to our question tonight? Who did Jesus run with? He ran with the broken, the lost, the blind, the crippled, the bankrupt. He ran with sinners because that's who he came to save. Who should we run with? Who should we run after? Who should we desire? Oh God, use my life to be an example that others might be saved. We need to go the same place. The highways and the hedges. Yes, the elite can be saved. But you know one of the first things that I believe those who've been popular and in the world's eyes held in high esteem, when they get saved, you know one of the first things they do? They'll humble themselves and they'll walk down the middle aisle and come sit by the homeless man to show that he's important. He's valuable in God's eyes. There was a lady at a restaurant in our hometown. And I've mentioned this story to you before, but i say it again quickly. And I heard her talk about a new preacher that had come to town. And she said, yeah, that preacher asked if he could come visit us. And I remember it like it's today. And she said, like we need a visit from a preacher. And I just sat there eating my hamburger. You know, I didn't say anything. Well, that lady got very sick and she had a stroke. Couldn't talk. I went to visit her in the hospital. And this lady who at that moment before didn't have any need to see a preacher. 
That need was not there. All of a sudden, I could see in her eyes, she was glad a preacher came to visit her. And you know, I sat with her day after day until she died, and she would write down things for me to talk to her about, and we had beautiful conversations. She couldn't talk, but I'd look at her eyes, and I thought, what a difference Jesus made from this woman that said, I don't need. And now her eyes were saying, oh, I need Jesus. I got to do part of her funeral And I told the family and I told that congregation that day what a difference a day with Jesus made with their mom. So I just want to encourage you. Jesus saw this man. Would you see the one that maybe nobody else is looking at? Would you see the one in your neighborhood that's not the most popular, doesn't get all the the credit for everything? Would you see them? That may be the very one God wants sitting at your table this Thanksgiving. Listen to the words of this song. If you could see what I once was, if you could go with me back to where I started from, then I know you would see a miracle of love that put me in its sweet embrace and made me what I am today, just an old sinner saved by grace. I don't think we can get any higher than that right there. Who are you? What credentials do you have? What citations, what awards do you have? How important are you? I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. This morning, right after the service, I was going to one of the classes that I share in and I got a text on my phone and it said, Mike, have you heard that Charlie Cole has passed away? Charlie used to sit right down here, sir, where you're sitting, every Wednesday morning for men's Bible study. Charlie Cole was 89 years old. He was a big man. He was a football player at UNT. And Charlie was a youth probation officer here in Denton. There's a building downtown with his name on it, Charlie Cole, probation office uh, there. And he, for decades, was the probation officer. He actually was instrumental in writing some of the policies that the state of Texas uses now in youth, youth pro, uh, probation system. And Charlie was a big man. Charlie was a good man. And I saw him not long ago, and I told him how much I loved him, and he told me the same, and Charlie would be sent one of those youth that had messed his life up. That had messed his life up with all kinds of addictions and bad choices. And literally, Charlie got the young people that nobody else wanted, the ones that they had washed their hands of. You're going to be in the prison system. There's no hope for you. And they sent him to Charlie Cole. And Charlie Cole didn't become their buddy because somebody living a life full of sin doesn't need a buddy. They need somebody to tell them the truth. And Charlie wasn't a taskmaster where he said, I tell you what, if you don't do this and this and this, I'm gonna see to it you go to prison. He wasn't like that. You know what Charlie did? I believe he exemplified something that's taught in the Bible. He told those young people the truth. 
He'd look him in the eye. And Charlie was a big man. He's a little intimidating. I can just see him talking to those teenagers. He told them the truth about what they were doing, where they were headed, and what they could expect in their life. And then it's like this big, big man would go and put his arm around them and say, but I'm here to help you. And you can change. And there's another direction you can go. You know what happened to Charlie all the rest of his life? He had people coming back to him and saying, Mr. Cole, you may not remember me, but I'm one of those that you told me my life could change. And Charlie Cole will be remembered that he made a difference in young people's lives because he told them the truth, but he did it in love. He told them the truth as a big, strong man, but he did it with grace. That's what Jesus did. So who are you running with? I know you got family, you got friends, and, and praise God, I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. But see the ones nobody else sees. Stop for a minute when the world's going by these other ones. If kindness ran after you, would you take time to run after somebody else? And one day, you'll probably see one of those little ones come and put their arms around you and say, I was blind, but praise God, I can see now. Who Jesus run with? Same people we need to be running with. Let's pray. As Mark and the team come forward to close us in our service tonight, and as I mentioned to you, Thanksgiving is to thank God. It's not to thank our churches or our pastors, our teachers, our family, our friends, our bosses. It's, it's good to do all that when they've done something for us. Thanksgiving is to stop and thank God for what he's done. How many of you here tonight, I just want to be a little old-fashioned. How many of you here tonight, if Jesus Christ were to come back right now, or while your head's bowed, can I tell you the last few moments of Charlie Cole? He was sitting at home with his Bible in his lap and he turned on Denton Bible Church to see the podcast. And as he is listening to our pastor preach the gospel, Charlie's breathing got more shallow and more shallow. And before Tommy could get through with the message, Charlie Cole was in glory. He was home in heaven. What about you and me? If Jesus Christ were to come back this moment, are you ready to go be with him? The only way you can know that is that you've let Jesus change your life like we read about tonight. How many of you would be here tonight and say, well, Mike, I'm saved. I know that I'm a Christian and Jesus has come in my life. But man, have I been walking the wrong path. Well, you know what? Church is for you too. Because Jesus can give you the, the starting over. And praise God, we can start over. Isn't that good? Start over tonight. And let his power keep you on that right path. He'll do it for you if you'll trust him. If you're here tonight, you can say, Mike, if Jesus were to come back this moment, or if I would stop breathing like Charlie Cole, by God's grace, I'd be in heaven with him. You thank him for that, and then you look for somebody else to tell how good he's been to you. And if you're here tonight and you're not sure you're saved, I'll meet you right here in the front of the church or in the back of the church or in the parking lot, wherever you want to talk, and I'll pray with you. I can't save you and you can't save me. But Jesus said that if we confess the Lord Jesus with our mouth, 
and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. For whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I want to tell you, you are a whosoever. And you can do it tonight. Jesus, I thank you that you're a good, good God. Your kindness has run after us. And I thank you, Jesus, that you ran with the sinners and those that wanted to be changed and be forgiven. And Oh, Matthew, Lord, I can't wait to see him in heaven and hear him give testimony to what a difference Jesus made in his life that day. Thank you for everyone that's come to church tonight, those that have listened online. And Lord, they can pray right where they're at too. If someone, this is the night you have ordained to meet them, you see them right where they're at, would you let them confess and call upon your name? We pray in Jesus' name.